a few weeks of this year, um, you know that we have been in a series called uh, Pandemic Proof. And I don't, um, I don't know, if, you, you know if you're joining us late or if you're for the first time tuning in with us. If you are, uh, basically what, the, what we've done for the first five weeks is just talk about the, the spiritual disciplines, um, the, the spiritual means of grace that God has given to his people whereby which we can build a foundation that will enable us to be uh, sturdy and, and, and firm and steadfast in the midst of the storms of life that will inevitably come. So we've talked about things like uh, uh, building a foundation through being in the Word of God, through prayer, through community, through fasting. Um, and these are all things that we need to be doing now in order to prepare for the storms that come later or things that you have been doing in the past in order to prepare you for the storms that are happening right now in life. What I want to do for the next uh, four weeks or so is kind of shift gears and to uh, talk to those of us in here who are going through a storm right now. Like you're in the midst of a storm now. Like I, I'm going to do all those things. I'm going to read the word. I'm going to pray. I'm going to fast. I'm going to get in community with my house church with my small group. But I'm going through it right now and I'm in the thick of it right now and I need some help. I need some, some guidance. I need some, uh, some, some direction. What am I supposed to do? Um, that's what I want to do today. Uh, one of my fears... Um, in life, well, probably, if, if, you could, if you could talk phobias, probably my biggest fear is of open water, like deep water, open water, dark water. Um, that's, that's been a fear of mine since I was a kid. Uh, one day I was, I was hanging out at this place uh, in Virginia with um, my friend, two of my friends and, and my brother and one of my friend's dads, and we just one day after church, I think after vacation Bible school, we went to this place to, to, to hang out and, and, and swim uh, it was like this natural creek area, and I almost drowned in that river, in that area. And so since that time, I've always been kind of uh, weirded out, scared of water. So it's one of my, my deep fears. It's one of the uh, things I try to avoid as much as possible. Um, Olivia, on the other hand, is completely different. She loves the water. She tells me that I've never, I can never experience the joy and the freedom of being in the water. She loves the water, and so for our honeymoon... Uh, we went to Hawaii, and one of the things that we did uh, was we went um, parasailing over Hawaii, like over the oceans, over the Pacific, and it was, a, for Olive, it was beautiful. We were, you know, in this tandem thing, and we're flying over the water. For whatever reason, I agreed to do this. I didn't think for, uh, for a, I, I don't know why, it must have been a, a, a mental blip or something, but I failed to realize that if we're parasailing, we'd be parasailing over water. <laughs> and so here's Olive, and she's soaring over. It's kind of like soaring at Epcot, right? You're soaring over the water in, in, this, uh, in this, I don't know, what a, it, it, maybe it's called a parasail, but she's flying over. She's like, oh, my gosh, this is so beautiful, and we're at one with nature. <laughs> and she's like flying and, and loving life up there. And the whole time I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, we're over water. And so I can't. I cannot look down because it's so scary to me. All I can do is look up because that's what you're supposed to do. If you're scared of heights, you're scared of something down there, you don't look down there. And so I'm looking up, and all I can see is the top of this, this parasail thing and all of the ropes connecting it, and it looks like this is a really old rope, and it looks like it's fraying. And so I'm thinking, dude, all it takes is like a couple of these things to snap, and I'm falling into the water like so fast, and I don't have a chance. That's all I'm thinking. It's crazy. Olive loves water. Uh, I don't. I'm very scared of it. A couple years ago, we were, um, during, uh, during sabbatical, we were in California, and we went out on this big boat. Again, I don't know why I agreed to go on this big boat. It was a big boat, though, and we drove out for probably like an hour, two hours. There was a couple, a uh, few other families with us, and then we stopped. They put the anchor down in the middle of the ocean, and you look around, and there's nothing but water, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like kind of scary, and then Olive's like, all right, I'm going to jump in. I was like, no, you can't jump in. Are you kidding me? There's no, like, there's no edge of the pool here. You can't go in there. And then our daughter, Manny, who was like, like 9 or 10, and she's like, oh, I'm going to jump in with Mommy. We're going to go swim. And I was like, no, that's the last thing I want. The last thing I, could, I wanted was for them to jump in that water because I can't do anything to help them if something bad happens. Uh, but they're jumping in there, and they're frolicking, and they're having a good old time. The whole time, like, I'm so nervous. I'm sweating bullets, and my heart is beating. I just don't like the water. Maybe you're like Olive, and you love water. You love being around water. You love going on boats. You love water skiing, all these things. Uh, not me. I'm not like that. Maybe you're like me. But today I want to talk about a true story that happened about 2,000 years ago where people like Olive who love the water, who are familiar with the, who are experts on the seas, experienced something that made them a lot like me and put them in deep and utter and abject fear of the waters on which they were on. And as we look into this true story, it's going to give us insight 
into how we need to live if there are storms going on in our lives now. Let's look at Mark chapter 4. We're going to read verses 35 through 41. And we're going to take a look at a true storm that happened in a place in Israel where you could still go now the Sea of Galilee, this massive 13-mile long sea, uh, 8 miles wide, probably about 200 feet deep, Sea of Galilee where storms could happen in any moment given its placement amongst the mountains, the Golan Heights and the ways in the wind patterns flow. Um, storms could happen at any moment and this is what happened on this particular evening. This is what it says in Mark 4 verses 35 through 41. It says, that day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side, meaning the other side of the sea. Leaving the crowd behind, they took Jesus along just as he was. What does that mean? We'll see in a sec. In the boat. There were also other boats with him, so there were other eyewitnesses to this. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is God's word. I don't want familiarity uh, to lead us to gloss over the nuances in what's happening here. And we read this uh, out of context as we do with every passage of Scripture unless we're reading the entire uh, book as we teach it. And so let me try and set a little bit of context here. This is the Sea of Galilee. Like I said, 13 by 8 miles long and wide, about 200 feet deep, and its position in uh, the region uh, was such that squalls could come up, right? Without warning. That's, in fact, that's what it says in Matthew's gospel. Without warning, a storm came up. Now, of the 12 disciples, outside of Judas, 11 of the 12 come from this area called Galilee. Galilee's in the north, separating uh, Galilee, Samaria, and then Judea. Judea is where um, Jerusalem is, where Jesus, outside of the city, was crucified. Galilee is kind of like the countryside. It's where, it, not a metropolitan area, um, a bunch of little towns and villages line the perimeter of the Sea of Galilee. So if you go and you ask people, do you know the Sea of Galilee? The majority of people would say, yeah, I know the Sea of Galilee, but it also went by many other names. The Sea of Tiberias in some parts of the sea, the Sea of Gennesaret, the Sea of Kenneret, depending on where you are, because that's how big the lake was, the sea was, that at different points around it, people called it something different. It was a massive lake. And when it says that in, in Mark's gospel that crowds of people were coming to Jesus, to our minds it makes sense. Of course, when you've got a celebrity, when you've got like a, a, a social media star like Jesus would have been in those days, of course people are going to flock to him. He's going to have the highest Q score. He's going to have all these people following him. All these folks are going to be flocking to him. But we only say that because we understand it according to our mental mindset. But in the time in which Jesus lived, he didn't live in the days of social media, nor did he live in the days of big cities, at least not in Galilee. In Galilee, it was a countryside. And if you visit Israel, then you will notice that these towns in Galilee are very, very small, very small villages, where there might be as small as, as few as 10 families within a village. There might be maybe at most like 20 to 30 to 40 um, but in most places, they would say the average was about 10 to 25 families within these different villages along the Sea of Galilee. So rather than being this major metropolis, metropolitan area, these tiny little towns and villages. And so when Jesus comes, they start hearing word of mouth because Jesus isn't, he's not posting on Twitter where he's at. People are hearing that there's this miracle worker. And so as he starts teaching, people are coming. He goes walking from village to village in the Middle Eastern heat. This is what Jesus 
is doing. And as he comes, it's not just, hey, couple families, let's come out. It says they're bringing the entire village out to him. So you've got in one village 15 families bringing all of their needs before Jesus. There's people who are depressed, people who are oppressed because they've been living in this political situation for so long. There are people who are living in darkness, spiritually who are lost. They're waiting for their Messiah. There are people who are sick. There are people who are demon-possessed. There are people who are just discouraged, and they're coming, and they're, they're saying, Jesus, can you pray for us? And Jesus doesn't do this, this weird thing that some uh, people you see on TV does. He doesn't just wave his hand, and all the people fall down, and by the time they wake up, they're healed miraculously. That's not what Jesus does. Because Jesus is a lot more interested in them encountering him and having an encounter with him so that faith is inspired than he is in just healing them and moving to the next village. Because a lot of people experience the blessings of God without experiencing the gift of the blesser. And Jesus doesn't want that. And so with individuals, he's coming and he's praying for them. He's touching them. He's holding them. He's speaking to them. He's knowing their names. He's casting out demons. And then he's moving on to the next village by foot, not by car, not by train, not by any other means, but by means of foot. And he's going from one place to the other, and he's been doing this week after week after week. Needless to say, the amount of physical energy that is expended by Jesus in order to get this ministry going is been mo has been monumental. Not only that, probably more significant was the emotional energy. You spend time counseling, talking to people. You spend time, you know your limitations. I know my limitations. I go to retreat. Uh, at, at, on my best days, I might talk to, at, at the very best, probably my max would be like 15 to 20 people at the most. And this is like, brief times, just listening, praying for people, and then moving on to the next one. And I'm beat like a drum at the end of it. But Jesus is going to go village to village, walking everywhere he goes, and he's tired. Same thing is true of his disciples. His disciples aren't just sitting around in the house waiting for Jesus to say, let's move on to the next place. They've got to do crowd control. They've got to get people's names. They've got to help Jesus. They've got to learn all of these things that are happening, and the disciples are tired as well. And so they've been going village to village to village nonstop. And so the word that Jesus says to open up this passage are words that they think are extremely life-giving. He says, guys, verse 35, let's go over to the other side. In other words, there are crowds of people everywhere. Let's get into a boat. And we're going to go to the other side, and, and there are going to be people waiting for us there. But listen, at least for a few minutes, we'll get some rest. At least for a couple hours, we'll get some rest as we go from this uh, one side to the other. So the disciples are like, dude, <laughs> this is what we need. Let's go. They get onto the boat, tired. Be, immediately, Jesus gets in, and leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was. How was he? He was tired. This is the humanity of our Savior. Jesus is tired and it says, Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion, while a furious squall came up. Again, Matthew, in his gospel, as an eyewitness, he says, without warning, a storm came from nowhere. What do we see if you're in the midst of a storm? Three thoughts. Here's the first one. Number one, a storm can come even when you're doing everything right. As a storm can come into your life, even when you're doing everything right. For me, I, gosh, I think about the miracles that Jesus did. Like, I, I would love to have been able to witness some of the miracles that Jesus did. If, if the feeding of 5,000, like, to me, it, like, it boggles my mind how that could happen. When you've got literally in front of you, you've got five pieces of bread and a couple fish. Like, how is this going to feed e even, even us in here? How's this gonna, how is he going to do that? Like, how did that happen? Was it like a, a table here and kind of those magic tricks where at the bottom there's all this fish and they keep on pulling stuff out? Like, how did it happen? Like, how did Jesus do that? I, I'm curious to know, and I would love to have been there to see that, to see the look on the faces of the people, to see the look on the face of the disciples. And to be there and to have the privilege of being able to see Jesus do that miracle. I would have loved to see uh, Lazarus being called out of the grave. 
I'd be like, no way, this is, this is crazy. He's been dead for four days. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out. And he comes out a dead man walking, the walking dead. Crazy. Like, how did that happen? I would have loved to have seen the miracles of Jesus. Be, uh, he, uh, I, the, 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 the demoniac, right, who had all these demons in him, and Jesus cast the demons out, and the demons plead with him, let us go, let, don't, we don't want to wander around, send us, into, send us into those pigs over there. And Jesus says, fine, go into those pigs. And they, these pigs get demon-possessed. And then the pigs run off a cliff and they die. And, the, and the, whole, the whole village is like, oh, my God, Jesus, you need to leave. We just lost all of our economy. We, we just lost everything. And that was our dinner tonight, man. We lost it all. I would, have lo- I would have loved to have seen that. It would have been sad. I don't know if I would have gone down to the water and picked up demon-possessed pork belly and eaten it. But still, I would have loved to have seen that. That would have been crazy. But if there's one miracle that I would not have wanted to be part of, no part of, it would be this one here. I wouldn't want to have been on that boat. Maybe my faith is too weak. Maybe my fear is too strong. But I don't think I'd want to be here. Because think about this. You've got these, you've got these Galilean men who are very familiar with this sea. In fact, several of them were fishermen. And the fishermen would fish on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, that's where they were when Jesus called them. This is a sea that they're very familiar. This is home turf. This is their home territory. And yet as they start going, it says a furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Can you imagine that? This would scare the living daylights out of me. Here's the closest I would get to this is um, in in Virginia. There was a park, amusement park called King's Dominion, kind of like Universal Studios Island Venture, Islands of Adventure. And there's this one big ride called the Berserker. And it's this big old boat, right? Some of you have ridden on this. It's a big old boat, and there's like five rows of seating on each side, the middle, and then five more rows of seating. And it's basically, you start, and the boat goes up like this. You're like, whoa, whoa. And at first, it's kind of soothing. It's kind of fun. And then it starts getting higher and higher each subsequent time up. It gets higher and higher. And, and each time you get higher, you're like, there's no way. There's no way it can get any higher than this, but it does. (laughs) It gets higher and higher and higher until the very end, it does a complete flip, and then it comes down on the other side, and people are losing their change. They're losing their keys. They're losing their phones. They're losing their lunch. It is absolutely crazy. But to me, that's what this is like. It doesn't flip over, but the disciples flip out. As the boat is going, these experienced fishermen They've been through this rodeo before, but they're scared to death. And Jesus is sleeping on a cushion in the midst of the storm. Can you imagine what the disciples must be? They they know if, if they're about to get swamped, they're taking buckets, they're throwing water out. They know what they're supposed to do in a situation like this. But I would imagine that at least one of them was thinking, if not saying out loud, whose dumb idea was it for us to get into a boat on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night? Whose idea was it? Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. This was Jesus' idea. Guys, get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. If they think it's going to be a jungle cruise down Disney Parkway, they think it's going to be a lazy river that takes them for some rest and relaxation. Little did they know that Jesus had something completely different in mind. Did he know that there would be a storm? Absolutely. Why did he send them into it? Can I tell you what wasn't happening? This is not how it happened. This is not how it happened. The disciples, tired as they were, said, Jesus, all these people are coming to us. There is no end in sight to the work that we're going to have to do. I am spent. You are spent. We got to go to the other side. Come on, Jesus. The boat is ready. Let's go. Jesus said to them, no, don't go. We're going to stay here, and we're going to minister to all the people here. The disciples said, no, Jesus, we're going to go anyways. So they get into a boat, and as they're going in their disobedience, a furious squall comes up, and Jesus says, I told you so. That's not what happened. What happened was Jesus said, guys, let's get in the boat, and let's go to the other side. 
They said, yes, Jesus, as you wish, we will do what you say. And it was in their obedience to Jesus, not in their disobedience, that they encountered the storm. Are you going through a storm right now? There's something going on in your life. Maybe it came without warning also. All of a sudden, the toilet starts leaking in your house. The house is a mess, and you don't have money to pay for that. All of a sudden, without warning, here it comes. Without warning, here it is. You feel fine one day. The next day, you start coughing. You go to the doctor, and they tell you that you've got an incurable disease. You're going through a storm. Your, your, your boss tells you, supervisor tells you, you know, you're doing great. Uh, you're next in line for a promotion. You're, all, you're killing it. Next thing you know, sorry, but we've had to go through a round of layoffs and, and, and you didn't make it. Without warning. And you think to yourself, did I, what did I, God, what did I do? What did I do? I don't, maybe for some of us we're living in sin. That's why storms come. But maybe for others of us it's, God, what, I don't understand. I'm doing my best to serve you. I'm giving my life. I'm giving my time. No one else my age is doing this. No one else is serving the church in this way. I'm going to prayer meeting. I'm going to house church. I'm serving our youth ministry. I'm even doing kids ministry. I'm doing all this for you, God. Where did this come from? And without warning, the squall comes. The winds and the waves come. God, what have, I've been praying. I've been praying for, for 21 days straight. And all, I've been praying. And, and the opposite of what I pray for happens. God, what's going on? Jesus is showing us that a storm can come in your life even when you're doing everything right. God, I'm the only one that kept my integrity in my relationships with the opposite gender. Everyone else I know is compromising. Everyone else is doing other things. But why did my relationship end and everyone else is still going? Why? Sometimes it's your obedience that takes you right into the middle of the storm. Just because you're in a storm, my friends, doesn't mean that you're in the wrong. Sometimes you do the very thing that Jesus said to do, and it can lead you into a place. But understand that a storm is not a detour for Jesus. This is part of the path that he has for us. First thing that we say, what is Jesus doing then? Well, first thing, storm can come even when you're doing everything right. Second thing that we see is that there's no such thing as a purposeless storm. If Jesus is leading you into a storm, there will always be a purpose for it. He doesn't randomly throw things at you just to see us squirm. No such thing in the heart and the mind and the wisdom and the care and the goodness and the love and the power of God as a purposeless storm. It must have been several months ago now. It was uh, right before football season started because it was the day of our fantasy football draft. But all, it was a long weekend and it was a, it was a holiday weekend. And that mon Monday, I think, Monday, must have been Labor Day. Um, Olive and the girls, Manny and Elise, said, Daddy, we really want to go to the beach, and some of our friends want to go to the beach as well. And I said, no, I don't want to go to the beach. Uh, Daddy doesn't like the beach. Husband doesn't like the beach. I don't like going to the beach. You know that. I don't like the beach. I don't like the sand. I don't like the salty water. I don't like getting ready. I don't like the feel of lotion, suntan lotion on me. I don't like rubbing it in. I don't like any of that stuff. I don't like it. I don't like it. I do not like the beach at all. And so, uh, day by day, it was for like maybe two weeks. Daddy, are we going to the beach? No, we ain't going to the beach. Mom said we're going to the beach. We're not going to the beach. We're not going to the beach. No, we're not going to the beach. Daddy, we're going to the beach. Monday morning comes, and I'm like, fine, <laughs> we're going to the beach. And so we go to the beach. The beach that we went to, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, you go to a beach. Like, there's plenty of beaches where you just go, and you go on the beach. But this beach, you had to pay money to sit on the beach. Like God's creation, you had to pay money to go in there. And so we're sitting in line. I'm ready to pay my money to go to the beach that I don't love. 
but I'm waiting in this line that's like an hour long to give them money to go into a beach that I don't want to be at. And so as we're waiting in line, I'm saying, Olive, this is a bad idea. Let's just turn around and go back home. We're spending as much time, and you know the beach from, uh, from this area is like it's over an hour away, that we're spending more time in line than we have been driving. This is crazy. Like, no, we're going to stay. We're getting food, and our friends are waiting and all this stuff. So I said, but this is a bad, bad, bad idea. We shouldn't have come. And I'm like getting all upset and huffing and puffing. This is bad. Kids are like, why daddy's so mad? <laughs> I was like, I didn't want to come here. Right, so here we are at the beach. We finally pay our money and we get in. And then we've got to haul like all of our equipment from the parking lot to the beach. And it's never like, hey, let's get the closest point to, to the car. It's always like we've got to mo- walk like a mile. And we're like carrying all this stuff like, oh, my gosh, where are we going to get there? They're always like, there's a better spot down like a mile away or two miles away. We see a better spot over there. And so we walk in. We walk in with all of our stuff. And it's not just blankets. It's like. You have big old umbrellas. You got your, your canopy shelters that fit like 50 people in there. Like, why do we have to bring all this stuff? Bring all these things and carrying like food. And, and we finally get there. We set it all up. And it takes me like forever to set up our little thing. And then others are, are setting up their things. And we get there and then get lotioned up. Oh, this feels so nasty. Oh, so yucky, yucky, yucky. And so get in the water for a little bit. Okay, the water feels good. Let's come out. And then we hadn't been in the water for more than a little bit. It starts raining. Like, man, if I wanted to have this kind of water fun, we could have just stayed at home and gotten wet and gone out in our bathing suits in the backyard. And it's like pouring rain. And it's not like this nice, like it's so hot in this cool rain, like in, when you go to missions in Dominican Republic. It wasn't that kind of rain. It wasn't like, oh, it's this like cold day, but this, the rain is It was like a cold day, and the rain was cold too. It was like these big old raindrops, and it's like pounding on us. On, <laughs> or like the, the shelter that we set up all of a sudden is too small for all of us, and the water's getting through, and it's leaking. And we're like, oh my gosh, we're freezing, and kids are getting sick. Their lips are turning blue, and we're all angry, and I was like super salty, and all this crazy stuff is happening. And then one of, <laughs> one of the other people who was like the brainchild, her, her and Olive, they're like, oh, this is so awesome. Let's take pictures. And I'm like, no, I don't want to take pictures. I'm so angry right now. I don't want to smile. I don't want to do anything. I just want to go home right now. And I thought to myself again, I said, this was a really bad idea to come out here. Oh, my goodness. And I thought to myself, there has never been a time Where Jesus has said, this is not a good idea. I made a mistake. We shouldn't have gone on the boat today. We should have walked. The, there's never been a, there will never be a time where Jesus says, oops, this isn't the way it ought to be. Here's Jesus. He says, if I'm going to lead you into the storm. It's because I've got a purpose for you in the middle of that storm. So you're in a storm today, maybe through no fault of your own, facing a storm, something that happened all of a sudden, unexpected. Maybe it was expected and came. You read the forecast. You heard it was coming, and it's here now. And you're like, man, this is too much. Our precious Jesus wants you to know that there is no storm that you will ever go through that is purposeless. He's got a purpose for every storm that you go through. Here are the disciples in the middle of the storm. They wake him up and they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? In fact, if you read the Greek, the original language, he do, they don't ask, do you care? They're accu- it's, an, it's an accusatory statement. They're saying, Jesus, you don't care that we drown. Their mind has already been made up that, Jesus, you don't care. If you cared about us, you wouldn't have led us here. If you cared about us, you wouldn't have been sleeping in the midst of the storm. Jesus, you don't care about us, do you? One of the great purposes of the storm is to reveal what we really believe about Jesus and to reveal what we believe about the gospel. As you go through this storm, can you still believe that even though you go through this, that God cares about you? Do you still believe that? 
you still believe that in the absence of evidence that supports the fact that he still cares about you more than he ever has in your life. He could never care more and he would never care less. Do you believe that as you go through the storms that come even in the midst of your obedience, even when you're doing everything right? Don't you care if we drown? Maybe as you've gone through the storms of life, you've asked Jesus that in your prayers. Don't you care? Don't you care that my loved one is so sick? Don't you care that they're withering away? Don't you care that our bank account is running dry? Don't you care about all these things that are happening? Don't you care? Sometimes we want to blame Jesus, don't we, for the trials that we face in life. I remember um, reading a story of this elderly couple. This elderly couple, um, it, was, it was the wife uh, who had gotten sick, and she was in and out of comatose state. And as she was in and out of consciousness, she, there was one point for an extended stretch where she came to her senses. She came to her self. She looked at her husband, who had never left her, never left her, was there the entire time. And as she looked and she saw him, she said, have you been here the whole time? And he said, I have. I have not left your side for one moment. And she said, well, I've been thinking. You've always been by my side through the hard times in my life. When I got rejected from that uh, scholarship opportunity, from that fellowship, um, you're right by my side. When I lost my job, you're right by my side. When I got into that car accident, you're right by my side. When I got sick, you're right by my side. I've been thinking about this, and I wanted to tell you something. And so he leaned in, and he had tears in his eyes as he was recounting all that they'd been through together. And he leaned in. He said, what is it, dear? And she looked at him, and she said, I think you're bad luck. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Gosh. Some of us think Jesus in that way too, don't we? Jesus, everything was going great. Everything was going great until I decided to give my life to you. Now all of a sudden, things started happening. Things that I prayed for didn't come to pass things that I'd hoped for, things that I wished for, things that I dreamed of. All those seem like doors have closed for me. It wasn't always like that, was it? Right? Some, some of you remember. When you first gave your life to Christ, it was different. Do you remember this? Maybe for some of you, for me growing up, before I ever met Jesus, before I ever met Jesus, I knew of his power in my life. I saw him bring about transformation in, in my life. I, I, had my, my, I would have bloody noses, and I... I, I I'm absolutely convinced that God healed me of it through the prayers of uh, my parents. I had terrible grades. I'm convinced that God did a miracle in my life uh, to bring C's and D's to pretty much A's and B's. Before I ever knew Jesus, like I knew that he had the ability and the care and the concern, the love, the wisdom, and the power to do in my life what I couldn't imagine doing. I couldn't do on my own. And maybe for some of you it was like that. When you first gave your life to Christ, you started seeing God work in your life. It's like the heavens opened up. You felt the nearness of God. Every time we sang, you felt like God was just opening up the heavens, and it was just you and him, and, it, and the, the people around you could just fade away, and you felt and tasted the honey of Jesus on your lips. The word of God was alive, and you prayer felt like as you prayed, it was like doors were opening all around you. Felt like all these prayers were being answered. Uh, one of our couples, um, Kenny and Alicia, Kenny and Alicia Ku, Alicia uh, is battling and their family is battling uh, through cancer right now. But when they were uh, in their 20s, early 20s, before they were believers, there was a time when uh, Kenny had appendicitis, his appendix basically ruptured, uh, got in, uh, not only appendicitis, but it ruptured. And so he was in the hospital. And I think the appendix got infected. And so, yeah, I, I don't mean to be graphic, but uh, there was pus would come out and it would crust over. So every day, uh, the nurse would come, and she would have to scrape out the pus from his, uh, from his body. And it's not a place. You, you can't put 
anesthesia in here. And so with a sharp scraping kind of an action, they would scrape out the pus. And he, I mean, he has told us it was the most painful thing, if you can imagine that. Like, you're, it's going to hurt anyways, the fact that your appendix had, was taken out. And then the fact that it ruptured, the fact that it was infected, the fact that it was pussing over and it's being scraped out. That's five times the pain. And so what do you do as someone who loves him? What do you do? Alicia didn't know what to do. Push the button, push the button, push more of the button. I don't know what you do. One of her friends who's a believer said, why don't you pray that it wouldn't hurt so much? Alicia said, pray? I don't know how to pray. I don't know who to pray for. I don't know what to say. Her friend said, pray to Jesus that he would help it not to hurt. So what, what, else, what else can I do? Nothing else I do is going to help. So Jesus, please help Kenny not to hurt next time they scrape him. That day, they were talking, and Kenny said, such a strange thing happened today. Every day when they would scrape out the pus, it would hurt so bad I would scream, but today I felt no pain at all. The next day, Alicia forgot to pray. <laughs> and the next day, Kenny said, it hurt again today. <laughs> so the next day, she said, I better pray again. And the next day, he said, today, it didn't hurt again. These were the circumstances that led them come to know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. And maybe for some of you, that's the way it was. You experienced some kind of a healing. You experienced an answer to prayer, many answers to prayer. But how, how easy it is for us to forget the faithfulness of God and to look over in the midst of our hardship and say, Jesus, you know what? I think you might be bad luck. Don't you care if we drown? Because Jesus at a certain point says, you know what? It's time. I've given you enough for you to build the building blocks of a foundation to come to me, to trust me, to give thanks to me. But now it's time for you to understand that you don't walk by faith any, a sight anymore. You walk by faith. It's time for us to grow. If you're going through a storm in life, because it's time for us to grow. Maybe Jesus is saying, you've been in this place for too long. Maybe he's saying, hey, you've been doing great, but I want to take you to a new height. In every storm that you go through, there's a purpose for it. In the mind and the heart, in the hands of God, there is no such thing as a purposeless storm. Your delays are instruments in the hands of God to cause you to grow. The difficulty, the sickness, the challenge, the struggle, instruments in the hands of God so that we might grow, to not fall in love with this world, but to see more of Jesus. That's the last thing that we see, the third thing. Storms, storms are where we can see more of Jesus. The storms are where we learn to see more of Jesus. The storms are where we see more of Jesus. What is Jesus doing? How does he want you to grow? Here's how he wants you to grow. He wants you to see him in a way that you've never seen him before. Through the difficulty, through the divorce of your loved ones, through the dark nights, He's wanting you to see more of Jesus. As Rick Warren says, every storm is a school. Every trial is a teacher. Every experience is an education. See, look at what they say. They say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? They called him teacher, but little did they know that they in that boat were in the school that the teacher was holding session in. And so are you, and so am I. Jesus is trying to teach us something through the storms that we're going through in life. The scariest thing for me 
and the reason I don't want to go on, on that boat on the Sea of Galilee because I couldn't, I wouldn't want to be there in the midst of the wind and the waves and the storm and the seas. Neither did the disciples, and they knew. Can you imagine how scary it really was if these people who knew that ocean, knew that sea, were that terrified? But can you imagine there was something even more terrifying for them? In the midst of the berserker going berserk like this, there was a man who was sleeping on a cushion who stood up and he said, talking to the wind, talking to the waves, he said, stop messing around. And everything became calm. And the wind ran out of breath, Eugene Peterson says. And the raging sea became as calm as a sheet of glass over the Sea of Galilee. That would scare the living daylights out of me. They were terrified. They asked each other, who is this? What was Jesus doing? You think you know who I am because I've cast out demons. You think you know who I am because you watch me open blinded eyes and open the mouths of those who are, who, who are mute. You, you think you know who I am because you saw me bring life to the leprous and to the dead and to the broken. You have no idea who I am. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not your miracle worker. I'm the Lord of all. And if I'm in your boat, then you've got nothing to worry about. That's why he says in verse 40, why are you afraid? In the history of silly questions, this has to be in the top 10. Why are you afraid? Why am I afraid? Are you kidding me, Jesus? Like, why am I afraid? Like, the boat is doing like this. Like, why am I afraid? I'm going to die. I'm going to drown, and you're sitting here sleeping. What? Are you kidding me? But if there's one thing that you know as you read through Scripture, Jesus asked questions not for his sake, but he asked them for our sake. And a lot of times it's more important that we pay attention to his question than we do to his answer. In the Garden of Eden, Adam, where are you? Well, gee, God, <laughs> can't you see everything? Like he's, It's not like where's Waldo. You see where he is. He's behind that bush. He's not asking because he can't see him. He's asking because he wants Adam to understand why he's running from God. What have you done? Cain, hey, where's your brother Abel at? The one that I know you killed. Where's your brother Abel at? God, am I my brother's keeper? You think I should know? <laughs> think I should keep tabs on him? Where, we don't even have GPS yet. How do I know where he's at? What do you mean, where's your brother? He's not asking because God doesn't know where Abel is. His blood cries out from the ground, he says. He's asking because he wants Cain to come to repentance. Jonah, dude, why are you so angry? You just saw this great city come to salvation, and you're so angry. Why? Why are you so angry? He knows why Jonah's angry. Because he's a racist, because he wants uh, mercy for himself but not for others. Why are you angry? You know God. But he wants Jonah to know. <laughs> Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid today? Because let me tell you why you're afraid. The very next thing he says, do you still have no faith? Because when fear knocks at your door, if faith answers, then there'll be nobody there anymore. The reason we're so afraid is because we've lost sight of faith in this moment, in this storm, on this sea. We've lost sight of faith that Jesus can do what he said he would do, that he cares for us the way that he said he cares for us because we forget that. The disciples need to realize, holy cow, you have no idea. Okay, you have no idea. There will come another storm 
where all the wrath of God is going to come. And there, once again, you will see a greater vision of who I am. Right now, all you see me as teacher, healer, but now you're seeing me as someone that the wind and the waves obey. It's just the sound of my voice. Do you remember in Genesis 1, it was at the sound of the voice that all that was, that all that we see has come into existence. They're realizing maybe he is a lot more than who we thought he was. He's absolutely human because he was asleep and tired, but he must be so much more than that. When they saw Jesus do what no human can do, they began to realize that maybe he is more than just a mere mortal. It's at the beginning of Jesus' life. He enters into this world and he did what no human could do. He entered by virtue of the womb of a woman who had never been with a man before, a virgin. And at the end of his life, he would do what nobody could do. He would save sinful humanity from sin and death and destruction. And there at the cross, the disciples, and there at the cross, we would realize how much he actually does care about us. That he would go through the ultimate storm of God's judgment on the cross in order that when he gets into our boats as we go through the storms of life, that with Jesus with us in the boat, when we call on his name, he will either calm the storms and the seas and the winds and the waves, or he'll bring a peace in the midst of it that nothing in this world could ever give to us and that no hardship and no storm in this life could ever rob us of. Are you going through a storm today? Look to the cross. Remember that Jesus went through the storm, and he didn't tell that storm to calm but he submitted himself to it in order that every storm that touches us wouldn't touch us ultimately, wouldn't touch us finally, wouldn't touch us fatally, but that there would be hope that in every storm he's with us. You're going through a storm today? <laughs> Get him in the boat. Wake him up. Call in his name and know the peace that passes all understanding that comes through Christ alone. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Three things here. One, are you going through a storm? Can you awaken Jesus? Not that he's asleep in your life. But he wants you to call on him. Just like the disciples were to call on him. Can you call on Jesus and invite him into your storm? I know you're there. I know you're in my boat. But I need you to be in the storm. One, let's pray. If you're in a storm, pray for that. Two, if you're not in a storm, you will be. Pray that your reaction would be to run to Jesus first, not last, and that you'd be prepared for the storms now. Storms that come to saint and sinner alike, Christian and unbeliever alike, they will come. This life in this world. Let's pray that we'd be able to face it with Christ in our boat. And then third, let's pray for those who are going through storms right now. Family, friends. In addition to uh, Sister Alicia, I've got a dear friend going through cancer. Late stage. A storm in their lives. You've got friends going through storms as well. Let's lift them up before the Lord. Let's pray for a minute, a minute and a half right now. Lord of the storm. Calm your child. Lord of the storm, calm the storm. We'd see more of you, more of Jesus. Let's pray. 60, 90 seconds. Let's pray the Lord God. Allow the word to become planted in our hearts. And I'll pray for us as we continue.
for those worshiping at home as well as those worshiping here. In a couple minutes, we're going to come to the table of grace for those who know they need a Savior, for those who know that they cannot earn their way to heaven, for those who know that Jesus is their only hope. In a couple minutes, we're going to come to this table, but we want to come in a way that we can understand and appreciate the magnitude of the sacrifice. A small sinner will only see Jesus as a small Savior. The wonder will be lost on them. But the more we see our sin, the more we confess, the more we repent, the more we'll be lost in wonder at the Savior that would save such a sinner like me. Let's take a few minutes, moments to pray, prayers of confession of our sins. Maybe you're in a storm and it is because of your sin. Let's spend time confessing every sin that we know to confess. Anger towards our parents, anger towards our children, anger towards our enemy, anger towards our neighbor, gossip, complaining, lust, greed, pride, laziness. What is the sin in your life that you've not yet repented of? Let's repent. Let's receive grace that Jesus would become bigger to us. Let's spend a minute right now praying prayers of confession asking the Lord that his mercy would reign over us now. Let's pray for that for a minute. I'll pray after that. Let's keep our sin list short in repentance now. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for countless times demonstrating the faithfulness, the worth, the kindness, the goodness, and the love of your Son throughout the Gospels, throughout our lives. Father, forgive us for we can be so absent-minded to forget the great things of God to only remember the things that we feel did not go well. Father, forgive us. You have been so, so faithful and so, so good. Lord, remind us of that. Take us back now to Calvary. The Son of Man, the Son of God, the righteous one, the innocent one, the spotless one, the perfect one. His body was torn. by a series of nails, pierced by a spear in order that we might find life and find hope in his name. Father, would you help us through your spirit now to be taken back to the wonder of it all. Convict us and challenge us, even to feel it in our emotions so that we'd remember the goodness the good news today. Thank you so much. We need you. We welcome your presence here. Pray these things in Jesus' name.